Hi everyone, I'm Len Bose of Brighton Best. Uh, great to see the room is full. It's amazing. We got people from uh, all over the West Coast tonight, from San Diego to Wyoming, um, and all the way back to Illinois. Um, we're here tonight to talk about the stainless fasteners. Um, we've got a great panel. Um, we're looking at three different uh, perspectives within our own industry, um, with, with Tim representing Master Distribution, and Josh um, is representing most of you guys in the room for distribution, and, uh, and Ryan is uh, man, uh, manufacturing some product out on R&D. So um, we've got, we, we got the, uh, the industry covered, and um, we, weren't, we want this to be an open forum. So um, if, if you guys have questions, feel free, as we're going through this program, to be able to come up and say, hey, I got, got the question on something like this. Um, our first topic is about um, trends in pricing. And um, we're going to be very careful about what we talk about in pricing. We're not going to give any specifics on it. It's, it's going to be general. Um, we just want to stay away from the collusion factor. So um, I think... Um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think, Tim, you were going to address some of the uh, trends in tracing. I'm, I'm sorry, it's Ryan. 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 Jump in first. All right. Um, yeah, when it comes to uh, manufacturing and we talk about stainless steel pricing, for R&D's perspective, it's all about the raw material. And the nickel, the price of nickel, is, which goes in and, and affects uh, stainless steel and just about any other uh, nickel Based materials. So I'll give you my quick disclaimers on this. I am not a broker. I do not trade commodities. Uh, this, all this information is based on analysis that R&D does, that our purchasing uh, does for our efforts in buying material, inventory, and trying to uh, make sure we get our best value out of our inventory. So the info I'm going to give you uh, comes from a few places. I'll let you guys know that. And if you guys want more specifics on some of this stuff, feel free to ask me. Uh, and I'd be, I'll, I'll share a little more detail uh, after, afterwards. Uh, I'm going to go through some nickel pricing that comes out of the LME, which is the London Metal Exchange for historical pricing. That's all public information. Uh, some other, uh, other uh, information that comes out of Merrill Lynch Commodity Research Division. And uh, a lot of it's going to be from interviews with our suppliers, uh, product managers in the, in the uh, raw material sector, uh, the information they get from mills. So some of that is, uh, is more uh, anecdotal and not uh, backed up necessarily with, uh, with hard, you know, research I can give you. But feel free to ask me where any of this information comes from, so I'll do my best to tell you. Um, so nickel is the number one component in the pricing of stainless steel and all other nickel-based products like Monel's and Inconel's and things like that. And when we look at what materials price is going on right now, um, nickel price for 2012, which is on a slide right now, has been dropping all year long. It started out uh, in the beginning of the year about $10. Uh, today it's right around 7 And in that respect, that means nickel-based raw materials have dropped this year as well from January till now. Uh, not a tremendous amount on the, raw, on the material side, but it's dropped a little bit. When I go through this information, we feel that nickel is pretty close to the bottom of where the market's going to let it be, and I'll go into a few reasons why. The major nickel producers since 2008 have cut capacity, 
and that has kept prices from being dramatically lower than they are. This next slide shows uh, nickel pricing since 2007. Those numbers got too far, uh, too tight because it swayed so much, but the top number on that graph is $51,000 a metric ton, and the bottom is about $9,000 a metric ton. So when you look at 2009, when that really dropped to the bottom, that was, you know, kind of right after the impacts of the Great Recession hit and nickel hit down to about $4 a pound. And the, minor, the nickel producing people, they got together, they reacted a little slow, but they really uh, crack, uh, crunched their capacity. Some of the biggest uh, nickel producers at that time dropped their capacity down to about 40% of what they could run. And that's when that price started going back up. And you've seen over that last uh, couple years, it's kind of not fluctuated nearly as much as it did uh, through uh, 2007 to 2009. So, you know, with that, the demand for stainless right now is not that strong, you know, compared to what it was uh, pre-recession, but they're controlling demand. And when I, uh, one of the researchers that, uh, Reports for Merrill Lynch calls them calls the uh, top three nickel miners the nickel OPEC because they get together and and they do get together and help control uh, pricing. So when we interview our uh, distributors and the product rent managers that talk directly to the mills, uh, the kind of going number is nickel is a it's gonna it costs about six dollars pull it out of the ground and that's about the lowest that it will probably really ever ever get before they start dramatically cutting uh, cutting supply again. So being at $7, I mean, I feel that it's pretty close to the bottom right now. And there's uh, most of the analysts that we pay attention to think the same thing. So one of the other, other issues with the nickel is uh, there's been a few technology changes that have increased capital expenditures in the nickel producers, and uh, that expenditures have already been, they've already been uh, in, uh, put in place, and that's what's driven that cost to, to pull nickel out of the ground up a little bit. So when you we look at all those, it's uh, the long-term effect, I think, is that the pricing is going to go up. And that chart is, is a forecast by the LME of what nickel prices will do over the next three years. So it's not a dramatic climb, but it's a climb from where we're at right now. Um, yeah. I was just curious, if, if the nickel price has gone down 30% this year, what has that done to your cost? Of, what it does, how does that translate if you're out buying one-inch stainless bar? About 10%. So it's not 30 Roughly, no. It's about 10 and nickel Give or take. Nickel represents how much of, of 18-inch stainless as far as cost? Um, on 300 series stainless, it's somewhere between 12 and 14% of the, of the amount of the material. You can go pull up like an A193 uh, B8 spec, and it'll show you the chemistry breakdown. But it's somewhere between like 12 and 14 or 15 percent. I, I believe we don't. Don't quote me on that. But the nickel would probably 60%. represent about 40 percent of a finished good, right? It can go up as high as 60 percent of it. Yeah. 40 to 60%. Yeah. Uh, on the, that's, that's on the raw material. Yeah, I mean, on a finished product, I would agree with that. It's yeah. close to 50 to 60% of the, of the price of the product, even, even for what we manufacture. Panelists, if you could uh, repeat each person's question before you answer it oh. for our recording. That would yep. be great. Thank you. Absolutely. 
Um, one other thing that we look, that we look at for, for material pricing is what scrap's doing today. As a manufacturer, all of our waste, whether it's shavings from, from threads, if it's uh, bar ends, uh, we sell all our scrap, and we watch that. And that's one of the other things. For us, that's a little bit of a leading indicator. If scrap prices are coming down, we know prices are probably coming down. If scrap prices are going up, raw material is going to follow. And right now, scrap is, is, is one of those indicators that's going up as well. Uh, scrap supply is low. Um, I've got one report out of uh, the uh, American metal market that says that was talking about some of the big scrap dealers that have closed some of their plants because just the availability of scrap is is, is low too. So that is going to start to drive uh, some of that uh, for the scrap we're selling. It goes overseas and stays domestic, so that could be going either place. So to sum up for for this part. You know, in our in our analysis, nickel's going up, stainless uh, material, raw materials going up, uh, not dramatically, not super fast, but it's going to climb. You know, we think pretty steadily over the next you know year to maybe as far out as three. So, welcome for any other questions if uh, if you have them. You know, most of us in the stainless business, we watch the spot nickel price. Yeah. Uh, go on. Go ahead, Jim. Um, I'm going to say that oh, I know... Oh, please repeat the question. Oh, yeah, repeat the question. What part of the world does nickel come from? Um, there's a... I don't know all of that. Somebody else might have some good answers for that. Australia. Um, I, I know... New Caledonia. New Caledonia. New Caledonia. Yeah. Um, China is trying with this pig nickel. I'm not nickel, too sure. Nickel pig what iron, that, yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure what that is, but... Um, from what I've seen, yeah, not, China's trying to develop. They're still one of the largest buyers of nickel mm. and they're trying to develop their own sources of nickel and it's this nickel pig iron which also is more expensive than uh, traditional ways of mining nickel New Caledonia which is an island off of Australia somewhere Thank you, Dan. and of course uh, Canada is still involved in nickel too I think they were developing something in uh, Michigan too I think they were investing in a nickel mine in Michigan recently. But to illustrate uh, Ryan's point, um, those of us in the stainless business, we watch the spot nickel price, and it's been up about 5 to 6% just in the last week alone. Yeah. So not that that's a trend of any kind, but, you know, you watch it and, and uh, you yeah. can see what's the, going the on. The graphs that I showed came from the LME, and those are all based on the three-month uh, cash price for, for nickel. So it's a... It's a kind of a three-month price. The daily cash price is a couple of cents lower, but not, a, not tremendous enough. Because they remember, it's a, it's a commodity, so it's traded. And so when it goes down a little bit lower, people take advantage and buy it up. And that's probably why they think it went up from, it was below $7 a pound. Today, it closed at seven thirty-five. So I think people took advantage of the low price and gobbled some up. But there's a tremendous amount of overstock uh, of uh, nickel right now in the LME. So that's keeping the price down also. There's like, according to this report, it was 56,000 metric tons surplus of, of nickel. So it's going to keep the prices down for a while. How is that in uh, relationship to the uh, demand? The, the demand is slow right now. That's what they said. Because, and, and they normally said because of the U.S. and, and Europe, it's slow during the summer. Um, again, China is one of the bigger users of nickel, but they're trying to 
make deals with with nickel mines themselves to to overcome it. So all this all has plays in into it um, in some respects. But uh, right now it's just an, an overstock of nickel on, on the market. Once once that moves. Uh, you know, down, then the nickel prices will continue to rise. And what Ryan says, if it goes below $6, what will happen is they'll cut production. They even could close the mines just to make the price go back up. They got to keep it, you know, somewhere between 7 or $8 just to make some money on it. Otherwise, it's not worth them to take it out of the ground. I believe energy right now. Oh, please repeat the question. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. What industry? And we're going to get to that. That's actually going to be my position <laughs> on the panel. But uh, right now, I see it as energy. Yeah, you want to know what, what industry um, is using most of the nickel, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, what industry? I mean, oh. For finished product? I'll let you go on that one. When you say energy, are you oil and gas? Both oil and gas and power. But that's finished product. That's fasteners, right? This is fasteners. For, that's what, you know. I don't know about nickel itself. Well, now that we've, yeah. <laughs> a battery. <isn't> it? <laughs> now that we've made you all nickel experts, uh, we'll throw a little curve on you. Um, in our business, in, in fasteners, some products are really quite simple to make, and, and some of them are a little more intense. And um, we call that a conversion cost. Um, Tim, can you comment a little bit on the conversion costs for different types of products and, and how that would how that would affect the different prices? As, as far as as far as um, you know, are, are are all prices are all fasteners even as oh, far as no, sensitive no, no. To, to being sensitive to the price of nickel? No, it, it depends on of course how either how popular the item is, like a, a quarter twenty nut, the nickel might not come as much play. As a, the smaller products, even like an odd eighty, where it's more labor intensive, um, you have more labor costs than actual materials. So, it's not a direct conversion cost. You can't just say, "Oh, nickel's so much a pound. My end use should be my end cost should be this." It depends on on a, really the item. The bigger the item, you know, the more nickel is going to play in it. And sometimes the smaller ones, it's more or less the cost of just making it as opposed to the cost of the material. A rule of thumb, though, um, nickel is about one-third of the cost of the end product. So you can try to figure it out that way, but again, there's no real hard and fast way of figuring it out because it depends on the item. I mean, you could... Yeah, in other words, things like shoulder bolts and doll pins would yeah. have a, a higher conversion cost because of all the different processes they go yeah. as opposed to thread. Yeah, like quarter, quarter by one hexes, you can figure, oh, my cost of nickel went up 10%. You might be able to figure out your new cost of a quarter by one just by figuring that's a pretty common item. But you wouldn't be able to do that with like a, a shoulder bolt or an um, odd 80 machine screw or something like that. It won't, it won't convert exactly that way. Uh, one of the questions that was asked of the panel um, was, um, when should I stock up on stainless, and how do I avoid getting caught when the price swings? And uh, <laughs> Tim and Ryan, you guys were going to address that. 
I, I was having a conversation, I think, at the table that uh, for me as a manufacturer, I buy, I buy the raw material, and I'm not afraid to, to stock up on raw material uh, as far as stainless items or other nickel products go right now. How to get, you know, getting caught when the price swings, I'll let you guys tell me how to do that, so I, I, I can be better at that too, but, um, you know, I mean, I think that's for everybody to decide when to stock, when to stock up, but, you know, I, I don't see it going much lower than it is now, but, you know, that's, that's my opinion. I, I have to agree. I mean, you could figure nickel can only go so far down, and you might be at the, at the, the least point, and just the only other way to do it is just either buy it and put it in your stock or put a, a release order in with your supplier and to hold the price for you, but um, there's always the chance it could go lower. But if the price goes higher, then, then you've, you've made out. But there's real no way of, of knowing for sure um, getting around price, price swings. It just, it just happens. It's part of the business. Question, Andy? Yeah. How long does it take to work through the system? I mean, stuff from overseas, six months, right? So if the price of nickel doubled today, in theory, it would take that long to, for the, the new expensive stuff to come in. But what about somebody like you, Ryan, where you're manufacturing it? Is there that same length of lag, or is your supply line short? Yeah. The question is: Is uh, how long does it is the lag between uh, nickel price change and and seeing it in the fastener? For us, it can be much faster than that. Um, that may depend on obviously inventory levels, what we have, what the distributors might have, and how quickly they want to change. You can see steel distributors changing very early, even on uh, you know even on their. Uh, Inventory, they'll raise their price even though their inventory was at a lower cost, or they may even drop it before their higher price inventory is used up. That all depends on, on the severity of the change. But for, for uh, our product being domestically manufactured, that change can be weeks to a month or so probably. Um, as far as industries that use stainless, some obviously use more than others. And... Um, Josh put together a little bit of information here about the, 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 hotter, the hotter type industries that are using stainless right now. Okay. And this is based on stainless finished fastener products. Um, so let me preface this with the first reason that I was on, asked to be on this panel was to represent all of you. And I tried to reach out and, and push for questions from the distributors to, to really to pull what you guys wanted to hear about stainless um, or questions that you had about the market. We didn't get a good response, so it kind of falls back on what I'm going to be showing you what Glazer & Associates uh, follows uh, for stainless and what we drive for in industries and what we target. So I'm going to be basing on stainless and nickel alloy materials uh, that, that we target, you know, strictly in the United States. Um, I'll go over, I have some material specs down below, and I'll, I'll, I'll be specific when I talk about the industries that we target in the slides. Um, first and foremost, we, we push towards energy, and we see um, 
the biggest demand for stainless in uh, oil and gas refining and then power generation. Um, so typically in, in the energy field, we, we see that uh, specs that are called out for stainless are under ASTM A193 and A194, mostly B8, B8M, class one and class two strain hardened material. Um, in power generation, we, they're usually calling out for under A276, 18.8s, 300 series. Also, in both, we see in the nickel alloys, alloy 20, C276, Monels, and Inconels. Uh, there's also, you know, obviously there, in, in energy, we can now go into alternative green energy. Um, typically, what we see from there, we, at Glazer, we have a lot of now Buy American Act projects. Um, and they're, they're calling out F593, F594. Um, we see this also in water treatment. So um, we, we see, you know, either um, wastewater treatment. They also are by American projects, large projects that are calling F593, F594. Uh, every once in a while we'll see the solar and then um, some dam projects. Uh, and as far as water, not the dam. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, under you know industrial commercial uh, construction, I'm I'm putting um, chemical processing under that, even though you know they kind of go hand in hand, you know, with energy, considering that chemical processing, you know, oil and gas refining have their own individual chem plants, but. Um, Chemical processing, water treatment, and general construction. We see that in chemical processing, uh, typically they're calling out for those nickel alloys. Also, um, some of the A286 material. Water treatment, we see typical 188, uh, type 316, and then also F593, F594. Um, and then, you know, the, the Buy American X. Um, you know, Glazer Associates focuses on B2B and heavy industry, so I'm sure that you guys, you know, have different industries that you target. Um, this is just what we, we go after. Food processing, um, standards are typically 18.8, T316, includes food processing, packaging, and storage. Uh, and then you have the breweries and wineries. Um, I know that F593 and F594 got called up a lot. There's a, a side note. It's a very detailed spec, and you just, I just want you guys you know, to know that you gotta make sure you know what you're selling with that spec. There's so many conditions and supplements involved with it, and typically you know, uh, I see some manufacturers not fully complying so just be careful if you do see that spec and you follow it. Any questions? Carmen. Yes. Can you call out for F593 or F594 with no specific conditions as F593C? Does it assume that a condition, either condition or any condition can be supplied or is there a default condition? Well, Okay, so the, qu the question was under F593, F594, if they don't call out a condition, is there typically one that you fall back on? 
What we see is typically uh, uh, cold work one, but it, you have to have it specified. And I think that's where, why I brought it up as, you know, you need to be specific with this spec. Yes. Yeah. So the statement was that you know the underline on on the spec typically somebody the user doesn't necessarily know what that means. Um, that underline would mean class two. Now this is something that I'm talking about is being very specific. You should ask for the takeoffs. You should ask for the drawings. If it doesn't state it, you should get them to state it. So, so the F-593 spec has many letters after it, and I don't think that um, you know, the industry could probably use a little more help as far as identifying that. Um, the letters go from C, I believe, through G, H, maybe even J. And, and when you look up that and you look up that spec, you'll see what the condition is by the letter. So in your example, um, Carmen, I think it's F-593 is um, condition CW. Right. Yeah, but it goes C and then D with five A's and up, and then F is the next condition, right? It goes C, D, E, and F is all for 304 stainless. Can you not have a C alloy in cold worked or not cold worked? Or CW or not CW, AF condition in either size? I, I, I'd have to pull the spec up in front of me to tell you that to answer your question. And the reason I brought it up a lot is you are going to see this, if, especially with the state of our infrastructure right now, in the next decade, you are going to see this a lot. And there's not many people that know about it. Any other questions? <laughs> Suzanne. Suzanne. <laughs> We haven't, we haven't run Please repeat the it. question. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the question was uh, uh, China was dumping 200 series stainless, and uh, there's still a problem with that. I, we haven't run across it. Uh, everybody know what 200 series is? It's like a, a high magnesium. When, we, when nickel went so high, they, they had tried to push this 200 series because it had a lot less nickel and more magnesium in them. Uh, we did have some washers came across our place, um, but we just tested them. And we've been testing our washers ever since. And that's mostly where they came in was through washers. Um, and uh, I, I haven't heard anybody or anything uh, about that since about four or five years ago. Well, 
Well, somebody had asked that at our table, and the funny part is, is the person that we got it from, we, we, we returned them, and they said, we'll take it back. We'll just sell it to somebody in the Mideast, because they won't care. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's probably out there somewhere. I mean, to Suzanne. Okay. <laughs> Mideast, San Diego. <laughs> so there was a couple other industries, real quick, that I, I didn't cover because Glazer Associates typically doesn't push for it. Um, we're, we're assuming that tech components, valves, and controls all involve stainless, and then marine. Also, transmission kind of goes in with power and energy. And I believe that's it for me. Is, it, is, there, um, is there any benefit, is there any help we can give to the distributors by, by looking at different products? Is there salesmen going and they, they're focused on selling nuts and bolts? Is there other products in these industries that, that, that salesmen can look for to sell? Under stainless? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're using stainless nuts and bolts in a, in a power plant, is, should the salesmen be looking for other products to be looking to sell into that power plant? That's what we should ask them. Andy, can you help? Yeah, I, I, actually, I was going to say I was part of a group that put this together, and we tried to have a panelist from a related field that didn't come together. But the point was fasteners are the cheapest thing your customer buys. If they're using stainless bolts and nuts, then they're probably using stainless fittings, stainless valves, stainless all kinds of other products so open your eyes and you know we don't have to limit ourselves only to the 0.02 each products you know there there's a lot of stuff that's a lot more expensive and it's another opportunity for you if you're already in that customer Um, DFARS is an issue in stainless steel that, that comes up occasionally, at least on our end of it. Um, are there any other regulations that, that we should know about? Ryan, can you help us with that? Um, yeah, we talked about this a bit, and I'm not sure we come up with too many other regulations. I mean, Josh mentioned the Buy American, domestic, you know, there, there's all those things. There's, uh, it, it's mostly spec-driven on stainless and uh, I mean I'll echo with that kind of what Josh said you know on the manufacturing side we need the information flow down every bit of it everything that's in a spec everything that's on a drawing everything uh, you know just every piece of it because there's so many variations in stainless there's so many variations in even the ASDM specs that if it's not flown down chances are you get something that that doesn't meet what you're end-use customer wants. Um, when I was talking to my purchasing manager about the, about the different things she has to worry about on, on stainless, the only other one she really brought up for me uh, is uh, EN specs. It's a European spec that uh, is not necessarily always common um, on domestic material, especially. Anything that's coming in from overseas, it's usually there. Uh, but the domestic, there's a couple mills that are pretty good about it and some that aren't. So I don't know if you guys run into that, that's where it comes down to. As a manufacturer, I'm not going to certify it to an EN, but the mill's going to, and if that's not specified up front, might not be there. Um, special chemistries, you know, any other spec that uh, that might be on the drawing, uh, the more information, the better. Uh, the l- less information that comes down, flows all the way down the chain, is 
where the likelihood is that something doesn't come out right. Suzanne. Just a comment on that in our industries that we see uh, DFARS, Buy American Act, all of those things are buried in T's and C's, terms and conditions for the end user. When they're coming out for quotation level, they very rarely tell you that they're looking for DFARS, very rarely tell you they're looking for Buy American Act. You find that out after they want to place the order and you're actually seeing terms and conditions printed out on a purchase order. So very strongly suggest when you're dealing with the industries that Josh mentioned that you ask what terms and conditions you're quoting to before you quote because you will be bit by it at the back end. Addressing that also because we've got a lot of people asking for domestic and a lot of times you have to ask them, you want to just made in the United States or do you, does the raw material have to come from the United States? Because that's the Buy America Act where the difference between that and DFARS, where DFARS can be a qualifying country. So the need to ask the customer where, you know, we can get it made in the United States, but where do we want the raw material from? Because that has to come from the United States also or how far, you know, those terms and conditions go. And this will typically, if you ask these questions, will typically scare away a non-serious buyer. <laughs> Save you a lot of time. <laughs> you know, um, other materials that, that would be considered non-fair are some silicon bronzes and uh, brasses, aluminums. Um, is there really any left, life left in that type of industry, um, Tim? Um, not much. Um, it's been declining over the years, um, especially brass, um, because it's copper-based, um, and copper has not come down as much as uh, nickel has. I think copper was $4 and something a pound last year. Now it's still 3 something a pound, so it's down about 20%. But uh, now, I mean, a lot of the brass and stainless items are on par. I mean, for some of us... Uh, more mature people in the audience remember how brass was so cheap before, and a lot of people used to use it. Um, but now it's it's on par with stainless, so a lot of people have just gone over to to buying stainless instead of brass. And there's still some sizes, and because of the the properties of brass and silicon bronze, uh, there are uses for it. But it, over across the board, there's just a few sizes here and there that are really selling. The rest is just turning uh, sitting on the shelf, turning green, as we say. <laughs> So uh, there's not much left, but like I said, if you find a particular size or two, they, what are they do the advantages so. Of the properties of um, brasses? Uh, well, uh, the, the electric con conductivity, naturally. Um, uh, the plumbing industry used to use brass quite a bit, and of course, the electric uh, industry used to use it in all their uh, boxes and everything, but they're just, um, just not as much usage anymore for that. Um, and uh, I think that a lot of the power uses bronze, silicon bronze, like uh, um, Southern California Edison and PG&E use bronze and, and things like that um, in their boxes, too, and, and the power. You don't have to get that detailed. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> they're, they're getting away from that. No, yeah, we, we see it in energy, power, and transmission, and then aluminum marine. But it's mostly yes. it's just a few sizes. It's not correct. You don't like need a whole line of uh, bronze or 
brass bolts from quarter to one inch. It's right. just you're three eighths, half inch, and maybe a few five eighths, and that's it. So. From the distribution side of things, um, I know um, distributors want to know how do I get the best price on stainless steel, um, and, and there's different ways to do that. Um, whether you're whether you're doing contracts or whether you just want to buy it up front, um, it's it's really up to the needs of that distributor. Um, Tim, can you help us out at all on that one? No. No. <laughs> okay, we're done. You guys don't know how to buy stainless. I, I mean, the way the, the price level of stainless right now, I mean, how much cheaper can it get? I mean, it's just like it's, it's down and dirty as it is. I mean, there are a few things you can do. Um, you know, um, try to, you know, if, if your customer wants level pricing, you try to, to work out a contract or, or, like we said before, you know, buy a large amount and, and release it out, and then you have a level price. Um, but the, the prices now are so low, it's just you don't really need to, to really worry about getting too much of a better price. I mean, it's just... You can tell them to pay on time. <laughs> well, <laughs> that helps. Um, but, but typically, the, the problem is, is the, the person on the desk really doesn't know how good of a payer you are. They don't, that doesn't enter into their mind. The, the manager might, or, or obviously people... Uh, you know, and, and accounting know how good you pay. But the person on the desk, all they need to see is a, is, a, is a quote, it's an order, and they're just going to give you uh, a good price. I mean, personally, it still comes down to relationship. A lot of it has to do relationship, just to call the person up and say, you know, I, hey, I want to get this order. What can you do for me? You know, I, I really would like to get this. Um, how can you help me out? So we still like to work that kind of like that way. It's still, you know, uh, a lot of... Uh, business done just just by a phone call and saying I, I really would like to do this. Okay, any questions? No. All done. Just remember that we are a collective, and we're only going to get stronger when you have questions and we work it out and figure it out. And oh, Jim, any questions? <laughs> We were careful with you, Jim. We make I'm sure a Porteous. We, we stay Porteous? Any stainless questions? <laughs> no? All right. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, it's a fourth, Bob. <laughs> I'm glad he said that. <laughs> okay. Well, All thank right, you guys. for your attention. We appreciate it. Hey, we really want to thank the panel, and we especially want to thank Josh for having the courage to come up here and talk about his customers. Okay, I saw everybody writing notes down, so everybody, yeah, everybody's going to be on the plane, flying up north, and uh, calling on your customers. I like beer. <laughs> All right, um, please fill out the cards for the uh, for the door prizes, and, and while you guys do that. Uh, We'll, we'll talk about a couple of things. Um, there's a free webinar on uh, CRM, Customer Relationship Management, on September 13th, taught by Diana at Serrera. And also, we're going to have a, a special drawing uh, for some stuff by Serrera. Um, Carmen is going to be teaching a fastener quality assurance class 
on September 11th here at the Holiday Inn. Uh, Green Slate and Company provides the, the equipment for the class, so there are lots of hands-on opportunities. Um, and in connection with the, the Fastener Show in Las Vegas, uh, we're going to have two classes there. Uh, Banked Blendoff will be teaching his Fastener Technology Workshop, and Carmen will be teaching his, uh, or presenting his Protect Your Company Technical Knowledge Policies as a Risk Management Tool. Um, th we've extended the deadline for Carmen's class. If you register through the uh, through PacWest rather than through uh, uh, the show website, you can still register and get the uh, early discount. Um, uh, another another reminder is uh, if you're on Facebook, you can find the PacWest page, and we ask you to like it. And also, we're on Twitter too. Um, as soon as we collect all this stuff, we'll do the door prizes. 